0: hi everyone droop road here ready to give you a little preview of today's incredible interview we have one of the fathers of the modern mindfulness movement and leaders in neurobiology and interpersonal neurobiology on the podcast Dr. Dan Siegel. Dr. Dan Siegel is the founding co-director of UCLA's Mindful Awareness Research Center, which means he's the guy. He's the guy teaching the world and running studies on how mindfulness impacts our brain, our health, and our relationships. On the podcast today, we'll be going deep into all those topics and more. First of all, we start off the interview with a short mindfulness exercise that you don't want to miss, and you can do it with us in real time. Then we jump into why mindfulness is more important today than ever before. We talk about what's happening in the brain when we're not mindful and how that can prevent us from accomplishing our goals and dreams in life. We also chat about interpersonal neurobiology and how mindfulness lets us tap into this universal plane of potential that can leave us feeling more joyful and connected with those around us, those that we love. As the kids say these days, this podcast is straight fire, even if you're familiar with Dr. Dr. Siegel's work, much of this interview will be new content. I hope you enjoy, and now on to my formal intro with Dr. Dan Siegel. Welcome to the Broken Brain Podcast. I'm your host, Drew Pruitt, executive producer of the Broken Brain docuseries. This podcast is dedicated to continuing the conversations that Dr. Hyman and I had and started during the Broken Brain series. Each week, we'll invite a new guest who we think will improve your overall brain health, help you feel better, and most importantly, live your best life. Today's guest is someone who I've looked up to for quite some time, and I'm a little starstruck that he's here, Dr. Dan Siegel. Dr. Dan Siegel is a clinical professor of psychiatry at the UCLA David Giffen School of Medicine, founding co-director of the UCLA Mindful Awareness Research Center, and executive director of Mindsight Institute. He's the author of many books. I think I counted 12, but you know, he's written so many that I could have missed a few in between. Uh, including his latest book, Aware, The Science and Practice of Presence, The Groundbreaking Meditation Practice. Dr. Dan Siegel, welcome to our podcast. It's an honor to have you here.
1: Drew, thanks for having me. It's great to be here.
0: There's this old saying, which is, you can go to the library and you can read all about skiing, or you can go to the mountain and you can ski. Uh, So on that note, I would love if you would start us off with a short awareness practice, I think podcast is a perfect medium to do it in. Could you lead us through something?
1: Sure. I mean, the uh, important issue for an awareness practice is that you want to pay attention to whatever that practice is having you do. So if you're driving a car or listening to Drew and to me, it may be harder to do this. So um, this is where it's always a challenge using an awareness practice on a podcast. But let's try it out with a simple breath practice. Uh, If you are driving, you know, watch the road and keep yourself there. Uh, But even doing that, you can still do this breath practice and it goes like this. We're going to choose one place where the breath can be sensed. It might be the air coming in and out of the nostrils and just try feeling that for a moment. It might be the chest rising and falling and just bring your attention to your chest. Or it might be the abdomen just going in and out as the air fills the lungs and then escapes the lungs. And just choose one of those areas, the abdomen moving, chest rising and falling, or the sensation of the air at the nostrils. And maybe you'll even choose the whole body just breathing itself. And let's just take a few moments now and let the breath Be the focus of attention. And if a thought or a memory intrudes on that focus, just lovingly and gently note the distraction, let the distraction go, and return the focus to the breath. Let's begin that practice right now. Riding the wave of the breath, in and out. taking an intentional, perhaps deeper breath, we'll just bring this very brief breath practice to a close for now. And it's a practice you can do waiting online at the grocery store, you can do it when you're just uh, waiting for anything, or you can do it intentionally as a directed practice, a dedicated practice, every day. We've shown at UCLA, if you teach this basic breath practice to people and they practice it, they actually strengthen the circuits of attention so that when you do attention measurements, they actually can focus with more duration and they can avoid distractions in a more intense way. They're able to really focus in.
0: That's beautiful. Amazing. Thank you for that. I think that's a beautiful way to start a podcast on a subject that is so amazing and so near and dear to a lot of our listeners, but to step into that place in awareness and feel it. I want to ask you... Putting your philosopher hat on for a moment before we unpack the science of awareness is awareness more important today and if so why
1: drew it's a really important question i think the answer is yes it is more important now than ever before and why i say the yes is that number one we're facing much more rapid changes than we ever have before This is often called by journalists and others uh, a VUCA world. V-U-C-A stands for volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous. And to face a VUCA world you really need to strengthen your mind to develop resilience. Resilience both in how your brain functions but also in how your body is going to deal with these stressors. Because what we'll explore is actually what you do with attention awareness and intention three aspects of the mind attention is how you direct the flow of energy and information flow awareness is how you have the subjective experience of knowing that flow and intention is how you set a kind of vector or directionality like i'm going to have a a day filled with kindness or i'm going to have the intention to be mean those are two very different kinds of days you're going to have so when you develop kind intention when you develop focused attention, and when you develop open awareness. Those are all things you can cultivate. Research shows you're going to actually improve the molecules of health of your body in ways we can talk about. And you're going to also grow areas of the brain, literally change the structure of your brain in ways that are called integrative. And an integrated brain is differentiating its areas and linking them. That's what integration means. And the more you have an integrated brain, the more you have a resilient life. A more nimble brain that's able to coordinate and balance allows you to deal with life stressors, allows you to regulate emotions and thought and behavior. And in many ways, integration in the brain is health of your life.
0: When we get a little taste of awareness, just even a short practice here, and of course this community being very aware of meditation, um, they know how they feel. But I think it's always useful Because the practice of mindfulness, practice of meditation, these other skill sets you teach are very new to individuals. So it's, I love to start with the basics. What is the opposite of awareness and how does it show up in our life? Because sometimes the obvious isn't so obvious to people.
1: It's so true. You know, awareness is a simple way that if I say, hello, Drew, were you aware that I said, hello, Drew?
0: Um, I'm listening very intentfully. Yes. So I think I was aware.
1: Yeah. Okay.
0: But I have my heightened sensitivity on because I'm interviewing you. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so uh, put it this way. Did you know that I said hello?
0: No, I probably saw like, I've I just felt feelings based on maybe images in my head. I don't know if I was fully aware of it. Okay.
1: That's interesting. So if you were knowing that I said hello, rather than saying goodbye, let's say. Okay.
0: Yes. In that sense, I knew that you said hello.
1: Okay. All right. So I took it a little too deep. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, just take it on the really just basic level. Yeah. You know, I said hello. I didn't say goodbye. Yes. So that's awareness. It's the subjective experience of knowing. Now you also have in that interaction, hello, Drew, you have the sound, hello, Drew, that we're just going to call a known. So the experience of being aware has the knowing part and then it also includes the thing you know of, like in this case the sound. Awareness is needed more now than ever before because what's happening is we're on the opposite of awareness, which is called automatic pilot. So when you're not present for life, when you're not aware, when you're not receptively open to what's going on, that's what presence means, you actually are on automatic, your mind is wandering, you're not aware of what's happening as it's happening, You can be very distracted. So you can be, for example, walking down the street and not tripping over the curb. So you're kind of noticing the curb, but you're not truly aware of it. And so you could pass by all sorts of things happening, friends that are there, things that you should notice, but you don't. Because you're busy thinking about a meeting or worried about what happened last week. We get very distracted by our phones. So a lot of people would pick up their phone and be examining what's going on in all these ways that we go on to automatic pilot rather than being receptively aware of what's happening as it's happening which is called presence and the research shows when your mind wanders like that it's not only are you unhappy so it actually causes unhappiness but it also leads to all sorts of not good things in your body so the more aware you are the more present you are for life the more physiologically your body is going to be healthy, and the happier you will be.
0: you yeah, have this great quote that 's on your book describing this concept and says, "Where attention goes, neural firing flows, and neural connection grows. Can you unpack that sentence for us?
1: absolutely, So where attention goes, neural firing flows, and neural connection grows. the The reason I came up with that phrase is. People always want to know, what does attention really do? Well, your mind is actually different from your brain. This is the first thing. And your mind can determine where energy and information flow is gonna happen. Now the mind is both within your body, including its brain, but it also happens in your relationships. So if I say, Drew, pay attention to your left foot. I have just used my mind to direct your mind by directing attention to your left foot. Before that you probably weren't even aware of your left foot. right? So this is where you see the mind can be relational. As it is. But the mind is also embodied. Including what happens in the head. In your brain. So where attention goes. Means you can direct your attention. Choosing where energy is going to flow. Inside your brain. In your head. And what happens with that. Is that you're getting Very specific circuits in the brain, networks, connected neurons in the brain to fire. So where attention goes, your mind is choosing that. Neural firing flows. Neural firing basically is the activation of neurons so that they're literally sending charges down their long lengths called an action potential. They're releasing chemicals called neurotransmitters. This is all electrochemical energy flow. Your mind made that happen. And the third part of the phrase, so where attention goes, neural firing flows, those are the first two. The third is neural connection grows. We now know because of studies of what's called neuroplasticity, that you actually can use your mind to get the brain to be activated in a certain way, and that activation leads to the synthesis of proteins and the growth of connections among neurons, sometimes the new growth of neurons. And sometimes the laying down of what's called myelin, which is an insulating sheath that makes the effective communication among neurons 3,000 times more potent.
0: It's incredible. You know, in our Broken Brain docuseries, we talked about neuroplasticity. And even though the science has been around for quite some time and it's continuing to build up, there's so many sayings that we have in our culture where you would think that neuroplasticity didn't exist, like, you can't teach an old dog new tricks, People have all this understanding of what they believe the human brain and mind to be fixed. And what you're saying is something very profound, which is that no, whatever you love and care about in your life and you want to give attention to awareness is the pathway forward to that.
1: Exactly. So, and this is, this is where you're combining awareness with attention. So interestingly, not all attention involves awareness. So that's called non-focal attention. So, you combine the the streaming of energy and information flow with awareness and you get this huge boost of neuroplasticity. That's the wild thing. So, yes, you want to focus attention into awareness. That's called focal attention. And as you do, like, now I'm paying attention to my breath. And I learn when I get distracted, let the distraction go, return to my breath. Now I'm distracted again. I say, okay, that's just what the mind does. It has a mind of its own. I let the distraction go, return to the breath. What I've done there is I've highlighted three circuits of attention that I'm going to strengthen like a a muscle. One is focusing on the breath. That's great. So that's sustaining attention. The other is, oh, a distraction is there. Noting something that's not relevant to what I want to pay attention to. That's a different set of circuitry. Noting distractions. Then after I've been distracted now, the third thing is how do I redirect attention? How do I pull it off of the distraction and pull it back in this case to the breath. So those are three aspects of attentional circuits brought into awareness that you're able to actually strengthen and someone who has strengthened those three circuits, they're like a different person because now they can sit in their life, they choose to focus attention and okay, you're a human being so you get distracted, you go no big deal, got distracted in a loving and kind way. I say goodbye distraction, And now I redirect attention to whatever I feel like focusing on.
0: In a way, do you feel that awareness gives you a buffer between you and what we think of as reality? So you can choose what you react to versus being sort of a victim of your circumstances and constantly reacting to this thing, reacting to this thing, reacting to this thing. Um, Do you think of it that way or do you have another analogy that you use?
1: No, I think that's a beautiful analogy, Drew. I think, um, you know, we use this visual image of a wheel where we put awareness in the hub and anything you're aware of on the rim. So, the way we would say what you're saying is when you access the hub, when you strengthen this capacity to be aware and not just lost on the rim, not just lost in a thought or lost in an impulse, for example, from the hub of your wheel of awareness you actually have choice and it expands your sense of identity because what you're doing is you're realizing sure i had that thought but i had 10 other thoughts and i could choose among all these thoughts and even other ones too so that i have this empowerment to become much more than just a single thoughts pull on my beliefs or on my behaviors or my you know interactions with others and i can rest in this much more spacious place the hub of the wheel rather than be lost on a singular point on the rim. And this is uh, the metaphor, when you look at the mechanisms beneath what I'm saying of what the science of the mind probably is all about, it's this beautiful way of really seeing why awareness is the key to well-being.
0: And let's talk about the science, because I think some of these concepts you're talking about, even the term awareness, if you would find a book even 10 years ago on awareness, 15 years ago, it'd probably be in the spirituality section of the bookstore. And now you're seeing the shift where, I mean, you must be sitting back, smiling, looking at sort of the way the world is evolving and the attention on, I mean, meditation being mainstream, mindfulness being a conversation that so many people are interested in, billion dollar businesses being created on the idea of trying to create mindfulness for people and just that attention being there. But those books are going from the spirituality section to the business section, the science section, and you're writing those books. So help us understand some of that science that you were just sharing with of what people may not understand of how deeply awareness is tied into the functioning of the brain. What are those background mechanisms that are happening that play into awareness?
1: Yeah, well, it's really fascinating just to stay with the brain um, initially uh, it doesn't have to end with the brain, but it's a good place to start. Um, what we now know from very careful studies of, let's call them mind training practices that cultivate focused attention, open awareness, and kind intention, and let's name those as three pillars of mind training. What we now know is that you will literally in your brain grow integrative circuits, so you're gonna literally grow with this training of the mind, including open awareness, focused attention, kind intention, you're gonna grow the connections between the left and right side of the brain. You're gonna grow an area called the hippocampus, which is involved in memory systems. You're gonna grow a region called the prefrontal cortex, which helps regulate all sorts of positive things in your life, like regulating emotion and thought and things like that, and you're gonna even grow the connections among what's called the connectome and research on the human connectome project. Connectome is just the word connect with the letters O-M-E at the end. And this connectome is the word neuroscientists use for the differentiated regions of this hugely complex system called the brain and how they're interconnected to each other. The human connectome project came up with a statement that every measure of well-being they could find was correlated with one connectome characteristic. And that was how interconnected the connectome is. How integrated the connectome is, is the best predictor of well-being. So what I'm about to say to you is absolutely amazing. Three pillar mind training grows a more interconnected connectome. So if you were really just focusing on the brain alone and said, what do brain studies say is the best thing I could do to create well-being in my life, it, the answer would be make a more interconnected connectome. So then you go cool. How do I do that? And the research from independent studies is in. You do these three-pillar trainings, and you will create a more interconnected connectome, which the other studies show is the best predictor of well-being. And amazingly, if you look at the opposite of well-being, people who've suffered horrible, horrible traumas. Um, and they have not been resolved, they have impediments to an interconnected connectome. They have impediments to neural integration. So what we want to do is offer them these practices and let's do the study to show, hey, even if that was your legacy, you can grow a more interconnected connectome, even if you came from a place of really um, deprivation from that. That study hasn't been done yet, but ideally we would be able to show now That, okay, we have the mind training practices that are going to grow this. Let's take not only everyone on the planet, but let's take especially people who have had challenges to that area and help them grow their brain in a healthy way. Can you
0: run us through those practices, those three practices again? And are there practical ways that we can bring it into our daily life and do those practices?
1: Absolutely. So the wheel of awareness has all three practices built into it just by good fortune. So the idea of the wheel is simply that you have the hub of awareness, the rim of what's known, and the rim has four segments. It has the first segment is what you bring in from the first five senses. So hearing, seeing, smelling, tasting, touching. You then move the singular spoke over from that first segment to the second segment. That's the interior sensations of the body. So as you explore these first two segments, you're actually training focused attention. One by one, you're looking at a particular channel of sensory experience. So that's the first pillar. When you move the spoke over then to the third of four segments, that's a segment that includes mental activities, then you're sitting in the hub and you're just saying, bring it on. And with open awareness, this is what you're going to train as the second pillar, you're just saying, let me explore whatever feelings, thoughts, memories, hopes, dreams, longings, desires, intentions, whatever comes up, I'm there to experience them without holding on to them, but I rest in the hub and just say, bring it on from the rim. And there's even a moment in a more advanced stage where you can bend the spoke around and explore pure awareness, which is like a wild thing to do, but we do it with amazing results. That's all open awareness training. That's the second pillar. So it's learning. I don't have to just focus on the breath and you know, I get distracted, I return to the breath. I can actually sit in awareness and invite anything in. So it's a very different practice.
0: So you can do it while you're doing something else, just being fully aware in that activity? Well you
1: can certainly integrate that into your life for sure but it's good to have, just like you brush your teeth every day, it's good to have a regular time to you know, brush your mind if you will. You can even call it brushing your brain where you're doing this on a regular basis, you know, a dozen minutes a day probably a minimum. But then you can weave it in. So I would absolutely support the idea how can I become more aware in my everyday life for sure but it's really good to say I don't want to be distracted by walking down the street or you know waiting in line at the grocery store I'm waiting for the cashier to be ready for me I want to actually give myself the respect where I can take care of myself with a practice so this is we can talk about that later but so these practices are done in a kind of dedicated kind of way a formal kind of way doesn't take that long but you can say this is my time to do it. The third pillar is kind intention. Some people call it loving kindness or compassion training. And when you get to the fourth segment of the RIM, we explore our interconnectivity with other people and nature. We explore this with uh, statements of positive regard to oneself and others. And what the research shows is this is actually a very, very powerful way of creating a more integrated brain. So if you're looking for the three pillar practices in one practice the wheel of awareness has all three built into it and this is what's so exciting about it because it started purely from scientific reasoning saying if I'm going to integrate something in my life and consciousness is needed for change which it looks like it is how do I integrate consciousness and luckily now we have the three pillar studies that show it actually integrates your brain when you have all these three things going on so It's a very exciting moment because we have now one practice, the Wheel of Awareness. We give it away for free from our website, so people can just do it. Uh, You now have the book that says, here's how to do it. And in fact, if you want to, you don't need to, but here's the science behind it, which I find incredibly fascinating. And it not only integrates your brain, but you know, it reduces stress, improves the immune system functioning, improves cardiovascular functioning by lowering blood pressure and optimizing cholesterol levels making the heart and brain communicate in a more balanced way. It reduces inflammation by changing what are called the epigenetic regulators that determine inflammatory response. And it's even raising this telomerase level to slow the aging process. So you actually are gonna maintain and repair the ends of your chromosomes. So if someone told you, Drew, hey, there's a medication you could take you would say, well, I'm not going to only take this thing It does these five ways of improving the bodily health and integrates my brain. I want to invest in that company. Well, it's not a medication. It's a meditation, which is, that word freaks people out, but it just means a practice that trains the mind.
0: Listeners love when we go through the routines of the individuals that we have on the podcast. And so I want to know, As Dr. Dan Siegel, let's just talk about the morning because I think the morning is such an important part. It sort of sets the tone for the day. It's sort of um, where it takes time to fight. I don't know if that's the right word, but sometimes people feel like they're in a battle for their attention, their own attention against the priorities of could be family. It could be the the media. It could be our phones, the things that we invite into our lives.
1: Excuse me. Let me check my phone before I answer that. (laughs) Yes, exactly. (laughs) Right.
0: How does your morning show up and how is your practices of awareness integrated in your morning and then kind of take us through your day?
1: You know, studies support exactly what your listeners are really interested in. What is the regular practice? And what you're saying, Drew, is so right. There's some studies that suggest what you do in your morning sets your cortisol level for the day. I mean, it sort of sets your stress level for the day. So I try to do, as best I can, the Wheel of Awareness practice every morning. You know, sometimes if I'm tight on time, I'll do like a 10-minute version where with each breath you move the spoke around. The longer version can take about 20 minutes. uh, And I actually love it when I give myself 30 minutes to do it, really slowing into it. But there are different time periods you can take. But what the Wheel does, and, and now we've done it with so many people, this is what the feedback we're getting is, it allows you to differentiate all the different knowns across these four segments of the rim it allows you to actually explore and experience the hub of pure awareness and it gives you this shift so that even in the morning if you wake up in a very funky mood what many people have described is it actually improves your mood it reduces anxiety even for people with chronic pain it actually significantly lowers the pain which I thought was a very amazing finding, I didn't imagine that would ever happen, but it's consistent with other studies of mindfulness practices where not only is the subjective experience of chronic pain lowered with mindfulness practice, but how the pain is registered in the brain is significantly reduced. So it's not just, oh, I'm ignoring the pain, it's literally your brain is registering less pain. Just with what you do with a mind practice, and I say just very respectfully. But it's not like you've got to do some massive um, this or that. It's just, just like you brush your teeth for dental hygiene. This is a way of brushing your mind for mental hygiene. I won't call it mental floss, but it's a kind of, it's a similar kind of thing where you're literally saying, in the morning, I get up, I do my Wheel of Awareness practice. I've done basically in one practice the three pillars of focusing attention, opening awareness, and building kind intention, I've integrated consciousness to start my day
0: Hmm. and and paint a visual for us where are you at your house are you sitting in you know do you do it in different places
1: well it depends it depends on where my wife is with her meditation timing okay because we do have a meditation little little spot in our house yeah uh and so she's there I won't go there but you know because we like to give each other space for the meditation time so I have a chair in my room you know, my office, you know, the little office at home, where I will, I will be there and I will be, you know, saying, okay, um, this is my time. I turn, my, my phone isn't even on because it's the morning, but I'll set the timer if I know I, I need to. Uh, and I, I do it by memory because, you know, obviously I've made up the Wheel of Awareness, but sometimes I'll even listen to my own voice uh, from the website uh, directing me through it. And that's actually a little uh, easier. To just follow me, <laughs> <laughs> follow the voice. Because sometimes, especially when you get to certain um, moments, like dropping into the hub itself, it's like awesome. And if I'm not in a rush, I'll just like hang there. And it's like this incredible joy. There's this feeling of love and awe that emerges. And so if I'm not, if I don't have to go to another appointment, you know, then I'll let myself space, space out there, which is space in really is what it is. And it's beautiful. So that's my day, you know, I start that way, then, you know, either go exercise, you know, at the outside or in the gym or something and then have a good breakfast and then so just on. a
0: couple, couple of questions on that just cause I think it's always beautiful when people start seeing themselves. And of course everybody's routine might show up differently. So you'll, you'll do it just sitting in a chair. Um, sometimes you'll listen to your own voice, which I did your, I did, I don't know if it's the same audio. I don't think it was the wheel audio. I just did one of the audios that were on your website yeah, before that, the interview. Right. Um, oh, we'll you link, did great. Oh. Yeah, and we'll yeah. link up to the show notes so you can find all those. Is this right after you wake up? You brush your teeth? You take a shower? Like, oh, yeah, that, that
1: kind of detail. Yeah. I get up, I go to the restroom. Uh, I probably brush my teeth. Um, if the dog needs to go out, I probably feed him first so he's not like barking. Uh, if he's sleeping, well, the dog issue is, I, it depends on what he did the night before anyway. So I take care of the dog and then I do the meditation. Oh, beautiful. Yeah. Now, sometimes if it's earlier, I won't mess with the dog and I won't even brush my teeth. I mean, I'll just say, this is great. I'm just going to do the wheel right now. I love it.
0: Um, there's two of my favorite authors, uh, Seth Godin and Stephen Pressfield, Mm -hmm. and they've written and they've talked about this thing called the lizard brain. Yeah, uh, this portion of our brain where resistance comes from, and it's sort of like our ancient brain, right? I guess the proper the med- the physical term in anatomy would be, I guess the is it um, brainstem. Yes, the brainstem. It
1: would be probably the best term to use for the reptilian brain. Yes, yes the
0: reptilian brain, exactly, right. mm-hmm. lizard brain, reptilian brain, and they talk about this idea of like this resistance, this force that even if we know that something is good for us, we're listening to this podcast, we think this is an amazing idea. We do these meditation practices. We did the awareness practice in the beginning. We actually physically felt the sensation, the feeling of joy, feeling less anxious, feeling more calm wherever we are. And then people have sometimes a hard time integrating it into their life. Yeah. What do you think about that?
1: Well, I think it's important to acknowledge that they're not just the old, old reptilian parts of the brain, but even more recent Uh, contributions to the brain the cortex have all sorts of resistances so we get into habits uh, and we don't really see the value of something and so we rationalize why we should just you know be pulled to do something so like let's say um, you know I'm finishing a project I'm finishing a book or something else where I got a bunch of meetings coming up and I have to prepare for them I can understand where there's a pull to not do the wheel of awareness that's a time when i need to do it even more Mm. right and so so the to-do list that we have not in the reptilian brain but even the cortex the higher part of the brain can pull us away from something that even is good for us you know there's a number of um, ways you could dive into that because there's a vertically distributed system that does link into the reptilian brain but up into the cortex has a a various names of people call it the reward circuitry and just distinguishing the word. Want from need is really, really important. So let me, let me give you an example. If you say, uh, I need to do something, I need to deal with the, the, the work that's coming on to this today, and I absolutely need to do it, I need to do it, uh, or, and you don't distinguish that from the feeling of wanting or even more to the liberating side is liking something. So let's say I say, I like to be prepared, but right now I'm going to do the wheel of awareness because that's just as important. That's very different from saying, I need to, or if you push the want to, a desperate kind of want, I want, need to do this thing, preparation. The reward circuit responds very differently to that. So if you just say, you know, like, let's say chocolate. I really like chocolate, Drew. And let's say you had a big bar of chocolate here. I could have a little bite and that would be fine. And I would tell you, I like it. Whether I eat the whole thing or eat just a small bite or have none of it. I still like it. But if I say I need it or a desperate kind of wanting, then if I don't have it or have the whole thing, I feel like I'm depriving myself. Mm -hmm. And it's amazing. But what you do with your mind in terms of distinguishing I like something versus I need something or I desperately want something, It makes all the difference, even in approaching something like, do I eat the chocolate or not? Or in the morning, if I say, look, this doing the wheel practice is something important. Even though I need to be prepared, it's okay. I can actually let that go and say, I like to be prepared, which I will, but I need to do the wheel. And here I say, I make it a habit like that, where I have to do it. Um, So that's a whole different set of circuits in the brain, but there are many circuits that make it so We may not do things that are good for us and doing a process like saying, well, this is something that I'm going to choose to do. I like to do it. It's something important for me to do. You can actually start building it just like you do with brushing your teeth. No one particularly likes to brush their teeth, but after a while they realize it's actually a better taste in your mouth. And if you're kissing somebody, it's a better (laughs) taste in their mouth. So in all these ways, you start just to make a habit of it. The wheel is the same way. It's got so much packed into it that people feel good after they do it. It can help you explore stuff that's difficult. So it's not like it's always like, you know, pure relaxing. It's not the same as a relaxation technique. It can be really, really informative and incredibly transformative. Um, and when people experience that, soon they learn okay, I just do this on a regular habit. And when I don't do it regularly, I don't feel as good as when I do. So you know something? I think I'm gonna to choose to do it on a regular basis, mm-hmm. just like you start to brush your teeth.
0: You said something really important, which is that they notice how they feel when they don't do it. I mean, you've been practicing this for a long time, so I'm not sure if there's days that you skip out or you miss because of travel or other things, but are there well, things of course. that you, what do you notice in your life when this practice of awareness isn't there? What are sort of the external things that you see or the things that you feel inside if you miss this practice, and if you don't miss it, things that you've heard from students or other people yeah. or practitioners that you've trained.
1: Yeah, of course. I'm a human being, so life happens, and I will miss it some days, you know, but in so general... You just heard should...
0: that on the podcast, Dr. Dan Siegel isn't perfect, so it's okay. <laughs> Sometimes you can miss it. <laughs>
1: that's right. It's so fine. It's, that's fine. You know, what I have experienced, and other people have said repeatedly, is that when you... Feel the kind of groundedness, the clarity, the, the spaciousness when you do a regular practice like the wheel. Um, on the days you miss it, it may not be that big a deal because you've been doing it regularly. But if you miss it regularly for a long time, that is you've gone a long time, then things start to feel tighter, not so spacious. Instead of feeling calm in the face of a challenge, you feel agitated instead of say, staying like receptively open to what's going on, you get very reactive. You, know, you want to fight, or you want to flee, or freeze, or sometimes even you feel helpless and faint. And what's really interesting about it is when people then say, oh my gosh, I've been feeling badly, I didn't know why, and I realize I haven't been doing my practice. Mm. They start doing the practice, they actually start undoing those negative ways that they are. and. You know, you may say, well, why should I even begin? Because I'd rather, you know, not be dependent on a practice like that. Well, it's not like it takes you into a place that is bad when you're withdrawing from it. It's the opposite. What you're likely doing is developing the integrative functions of your brain and literally changing these structural connections so that just like you want to keep yourself healthy with keeping your body moving, you don't just exercise your body for a week and then say that was it for the year, I'm done for the year. No, you try to do regular practice. You don't have to do it every single day, but you wanna keep your body very active, especially as you get older. The same thing is true with the brain. We wanna keep the brain integrated as we go through life. On a daily basis, that's really helpful. And as you get older and older and older, the studies show, and it's amazing, that you will actually preserve the connections in the brain, that otherwise, without these kinds of practices, will start to whittle away. So people often say to me, what can I do to keep my brain health up to beat, you know, up to par? And I said, look, the one thing we know, and and all the research is saying it is, these three pillar meditation trainings are exactly what you should be doing. You know, there's a lot of controversy about other things, computer games and all these other things.
0: Sudoku. <laughs>
1: all sorts of controversy would be about that, none about meditation as far as I can tell Mm. you know so and this fascinating thing about basically developing a richer relationship with yourself is also going along with the other thing people say you should do for your brain which is rich relationships with other people so even though you might not think of meditation as a relational process it actually is you are developing a relationship with you that is actually the gateway to having richer relationships with other people. And all the research shows that our networks of social support are the best predictors of our brain health and of our longevity. It's absolutely amazing, you know.
0: And I wanna talk, talk about all that and unpack the connection and kindness and joy, which are subjects that I know you're passionate about. One of the analogies that was uh, given to me by a doctor at Loma Linda, hospital down in Southern California, um, he was saying, you know, it's like Sudoku and all these other things. It's like you're on the mountain and you're skiing and you ski the same path again and again and again. So really when you do these things and the controversy around them, as you were saying, you might get good just at that one path, the one path of Sudoku. And I almost think of like awareness and this wheel and, and the mindfulness that goes into it is like you're becoming aware of the whole mountain whatever you want to give love and attention and energy to, whatever shows up in your practice, whatever the day demands of you, that awareness is something that you take with you throughout the day and throughout your life.
1: Exactly. That's exactly the way to think about it. And, you know, there's a very simple analogy because someone could say, well, Drew, why should I do that? Because, you know, I'm aware anyway. Why do I need to do anything like that? And think about it this way. If awareness is like compared to like a container of water, if your container of awareness, let's say, is the size of an espresso cup and life dishes out a challenge and let's just make it like a tablespoon of salt and we dump that tablespoon of salt into your espresso cup size of awareness, what does that water taste like? Salty. Salty. You can't drink it. You can't survive on that kind of salty water. But if instead we expand that container of awareness to like be huge, like let's say 100 gallons. And now life, as life will, is going to dish out a challenge, a tablespoon of salt, and it gets thrown into your now 100-gallon container of awareness. And we stir it up. And what does that water taste like? tastes fine. tastes fine. Completely fresh. Yeah. Right? So this is what cultivating a Wheel of Awareness practice does. It makes your container of awareness huge. And as you say, that relates to everything you do in life. It relates to everything about emotions, thoughts, relationships, decisions, going through life's journeys, You know, really passing through all the different major milestones of life. Awareness comes with you all the time. And though people may look the same on the outside, someone who's cultivated these three pillars and has a focused attention which is strong, open awareness, this vast container of awareness, and a state of kind intention, that life of that person is going to be very different from the person standing next to them who initially may seem the same, but actually doesn't have that same container of awareness Mm -hmm. that they've built. And this is something that's so amazing because people can do it. The science is now in. Mm -hmm. You can improve the health of your brain, the integrative structure of your brain, the health of your relationships, the health of all these five factors we talked about, about the body's well-being, and why not do it? It's cheaper and freer
0: and more available than anything out there in the market
1: yeah it's an empowerment of people to actually take their well-being into their own hands and say I don't have to be helpless and passive or uninformed and the reason I wrote the aware book was because once the science was in and once I had done these survey studies of 10,000 people doing the wheel and they reported their their experience um, it just became really clear Let's empower people to say, this is really established science now. Mm-hmm. These are practices that are free. right? So, of course, there's not going to be any particular company that's pushing this because once a person learns to do it, they're not, they don't have to keep on paying the company every week for the thing they're doing or the thing they're taking. It's something they take on to themselves. So it's really an empowerment of the individual to say, I'm not helpless to take care of my well-being. And the word my well-being means my brain, my body, my relationships, my place in the world will actually have more meaning and connection when I do a practice like this. So it is a well-being that is not just focused on one particular system of the body or another. It's actually you as a whole being in life.
0: I want to ask you a little bit about your life. Kids are have this natural awareness and this ability. Whether they can consciously talk about it or not, they have this deep awareness and mindfulness and just how they show up. And as adults, we have to sometimes rediscover it and put language to it and fight against the sort of societal norms. For you in your journey of awareness and expanding your own awareness and whatever you might have called it at the time, was it a gradual process or did you go through an experience that you felt really brought it to the forefront where you consciously acknowledged it as like, Oh my gosh, I am aware. This is awareness. I'm mindful. Mm,
1: wow. Well, that's a, <laughs> that's a really big question. There's a book I wrote called mind that actually is all about this question. Like what in the world happened? Because these ideas that we dive deeply into behind the wheel, are actually um, coming from synthesizing all the sciences into one framework, so they're really profoundly synthetic of the all the different disciplines, from math and physics to biology and you know psychology and anthropology. So that's a long journey. But the answer to your question personally, I think there was a moment um, when I was in medical school actually, where my professors were not focusing on the Meaning of the illness that their patients had, or the feelings of the patients, or even our subjective experience as students so if, you know, if I had a patient like who who died and I was crying, my teacher would yell at me, and literally one teacher said to me there 's no time for tears you know and they were like trying to crush the emotional vulnerability of being just a human caring about other humans out of us. So I dropped out of school. And in the course of being away, I made up this word, Mindsight, for um, how to realize that the mind is different from the brain, that the mind, at a minimum, has subjective experience, the meaning of something, the feeling of something, the texture of something. And while it might be completely dependent on the brain, it's not the same as the brain so when i went back to school ultimately and it, i made the decision actually in a building right next to here if not this one uh because i had thought about being a dancer and so i remember being at a dance literally probably about 100 like a hundred professional feet from here. dancer professional dancer yeah
0: like in like for what type of music
1: i was initially going to do ballet and okay. then jazz that's a whole nother story yeah and my girlfriend at the time was a ballet dancer and we were doing modern dance performances Probably right there. Right here in Santa the Monica. Window. Yeah, yeah. I mean, literally, I think it was right here, and I'm having these kind of chills about it. But in any event, there was a moment when I took a deep breath. It was sadly, it was right at the time that John Lennon had been killed. Mm. Um, and, you know, his assassin, uh, in his mind, had believed that he was the true Lennon and had to go find what he considered to be the, the imposter and yep. kill him. And I realized at that moment that the mind was a really serious thing, and to ignore it was really not okay. So I decided, when I realized I was not going to be a dancer and I wasn't interested in being a choreographer, um, I took a deep breath and I said, I'm going back to medical school. I went back with this word, mindset, And it was at that moment, this awareness that people's subjective experience really matters. I mean, it's really important. And even the scientists that I was working with would act as if it didn't exist. Mm. I knew they were wrong. So everything since then, that was like around 1980, so it's a lot of years now has been a journey to say the mind though you can't put in a test tube is real and it's really important so this book aware is a practical application of that journey to say your subjective experience of being aware can't be put in a test tube it can't it's your subjective sense I know I'm aware and yet It is a real entity. So how can we explore the science of that subjective reality? How does it relate to our meaning in life, our connection in life, what some people might call spiritual, and I was never um, educated to use that term, but when people hear what I'm writing about from a scientific point of view, they go, oh my God, it's a bridge, not only into the science of the mind and subjectivity, but all the different journeys into finding meaning and connection, what some people call spiritual journeys, And I said, is that about meaning and connection? They go, yeah, that's all the word spiritual means. I go, oh, my God. Well, then, let's have a common discussion about it. Mm -hmm. And the aware approach with the wheel of awareness, when it gets into the deep, deep science of mind beneath the wheel, because the wheel is a metaphor, it's a practice. But when you look at the science of it, people read the science, they go, oh, my gosh. Here is a scientific view of what all these different, spiritual traditions, contemplative traditions, wisdom traditions, have been saying, but this is coming purely from a scientific framework. And so the journey has come to this place of conversation where it's like you can really be a rigorous scientific synthesizer, staying really close to conservative interpretations of science and honor subjectivity And suddenly this whole incredible world of well-being starts to emerge where you say what you do with your subjective awareness can change the structure of your brain, can change the enzymes that repair the ends of your chromosomes, can change the epigenetic regulating molecules that are going to reduce inflammation and help you be a healthier person. If you told me this 40 years ago when I started this journey near this building, I would have rolled my eyes and said, yeah, right. <laughs> but here I am in the, right next to the building when the decision was made, and it's like, I don't know, sometimes you just follow a path that you have no idea where it's going to go. And so it's been an amazing journey. So thanks for asking that question. I, I usually don't talk about that uh, as it relates to the AWARE process, but I think they're probably connected. Thank you. No, for, and like, thank
0: you for sharing and opening up. You know, your mission and your life's work is so amazing. And again, you've given the science to what I think a lot of people have felt intuitively. Different traditions have talked about for a while, but we live in this world where that science is important to us. And just like awareness moved from the spirituality section to the science section, the business section, the performance section, there's these other words that are out there that aren't just feel good terms, but actually have data on how they impact our immune system, how they impact our interconnectedness. And those are, um, kindness and joy. What's the relationship between awareness and developing that kindness, that gratitude inside of us for ourselves, for other people. And how do you think of joy in the context of awareness?
1: Yeah. What a great question, Drew. Um, let me say a couple of just, sort of summary responses to that really beautiful question but if you want us to go into the scientific reasoning behind it I'm, I'm more than happy to but i'm going to just give you kind of the summary statements first the first thing i'll just say is that when you do a deep dive subjectively with the wheel of awareness um, and do it with ten thousand people and record the results when people do take the microphone and now I've done it with a lot more people than that in person, where we have conversations around it. What people say is they get this deep experience of joy and awe and gratitude and compassion and openness and love when they bend the spoke of the wheel around into the hub itself. Mm. So that's been a reported experience around this planet. So around the globe, no matter what a person's experience is, they could have never meditated before in their life, or they can be running a meditation center. They can be a business person or a teacher. They can be anything. And this is what people experience. So that's just been fascinating. Why do experience? Why do people say the subjective experience of love and joy and awe and gratitude tearfully, they, when they've described this, come up when they bend the spoke around into the hub? So that's the first finding from the 10,000-person study. Then when you dive into like a the brain side of awareness and the brain side of love, no one talks about this, but when you kind of take a broad view of it, pure awareness seems to have the neural correlate. What means is what what do we find in neural patterns that's associated when you have the experience of pure awareness? It looks like it's massive degrees of integration so that you are linking differentiated areas to each other in this moment when someone is just without awareness of something, but just dropping it to pure awareness, the hub basically. When you ask the same question of love, the neural correlate is the same. Massive amounts of neural integration when someone is experiencing love, pure love, what's called non-referential love. So that's a second finding. So those go together. In other words, there's something about awareness and something about love that are seem to be the same essence, and this is exactly what people are saying when they bend the spoke around in the wheel of awareness practice, so the third thing i'll just say, and this is where you know it just blew my mind, but when you ask what is the hub really it's a metaphor right the wheel of awareness is an it's a table in my office, but we call it the wheel of awareness, not the table of awareness but The wheel is just a metaphor, it's a visual metaphor. So what is pure awareness represented in the hub? So this would take a while to get into it, but there's a scientific view of um, looking at the mind, which includes awareness, as what's called an emergent phenomena, something arising from something that emerges from something. I think very deeply the mind emerges from energy flow that happens within the brain, but it happens in the whole body, and it's also happening like between you and me right now and anyone listening to us. We have sound waves that are energy, not something metaphysical, but something actually physical. Energy is a part of physics, and it's a scientifically grounded way to understand the nature of the universe. I think the mind is an emergent property of energy. So when you make that proposal, which I made back in the early 90s, you know, suddenly things become clear that if you just stay with the brain... You don't get this bigger picture. So, when you ask physicists, what is energy? They say energy is this movement from possibility to actuality. Mm. Now, how that manifests in the brain is probably in the numerous kinds of combinations that could arise, arising into actual firing patterns. So, you can actually map this totally onto brain firing. So, it doesn't leave the brain out at all. In fact, if anything, it makes it more illuminating what the brain is actually doing with energy patterns, but they also happen in a relational way. So I think what that suggestion, that energy is the movement from possibility to actuality, indicates about awareness, is that when you have a thought or a feeling or an emotion, when you have a memory or an image, it's an actualization that you're experiencing at that moment, and we have a way of graphing that out. But when you drop out of those particular actualizations called mental activities or perceptions and drop down to states of mind, you're in a kind of a lower position from 100% certainty. You're now, let's say, at 50% certainty. But when you drop even further down into what physicists call the sea of potential or the mathematical space they call the quantum vacuum, it is basically the formless source of all form. That's physics talking, Mm. not poetry. The formless source of all form. It's a mathematical space in which potential energy is there. There isn't energy there. There's all potential manifestations of energy rest there. So what in the Aware book I talk about in a very gradual and gentle and I hope you'll see very practical way is I think awareness comes from this sea of potential, this In the graph, it's a plane, a plane of possibility. So that when you drop into the plane, into awareness, you're not only having a pause between impulse and action, between these different peaks of thought and activity, you're actually dropping into the spaciousness where you have a sense of knowing, you put a pause in, and it's where other options rest. So when we drop into the metaphoric hub, we're dropping into this plane, and I think this is where love comes from, I think it's where kindness comes from. I think it's where awe, gratitude and joy come from. And so I was actually doing a whole week retreat with one of the world's experts in awe, Dacher Keltner, and it is an absolute blast to work with that scientist where we had 150 people in the retreat. To have so many people say, I'm experiencing this awe, this sense of connection, and then to talk to him, this expert in awe, about how the plane of possibility is the scientific mechanism from which awe arises. And so I think we're at this incredible moment where your question about kindness is, kindness is basically where you drop into this plane of possibility, and that is the portal through which integration arises, and kindness and compassion are integration made visible. And it comes from dropping into awareness, the source of love, and allowing it to happen. You don't have to make it happen. It's really creating the conditions, like the Wheel of Awareness practice, so you access a hub, which means you're allowing kindness and awe and joy and gratitude and compassion to naturally emerge.
0: And when we think about that field of possibility and love and joy and kindness, it's like two people who are in that state are maybe drinking from that same field. They're both in that same field of possibility, basking in the love basking in the kindness, basking in the joy, which creates this, this interconnectedness. Bingo. It's profound. Profound. But yet we all feel
1: it all and the you time can feel when it. we step into it. When you step into it, you feel it. And sadly, people are lost on their rim. They're lost in these peaks of separation. And maybe they even hear someone like us talking about this. And they go, oh, that's not for me. That's not for me. And it only takes... Dropping into the hub in the metaphoric practice. I'll give you an example One of the first workshops I did was up in Seattle Did the wheel of awareness practice then we took a little break and then after the break people come to the microphone if they feel like it to share The first person to come to the microphone says this I'm a 70 year old Microsoft engineer. I just retired my wife is a therapist she dragged me here i didn't want to be here i've never meditated and i've never been in therapy and everyone's cracking up of course and he goes but then i did the wheel of awareness practice then he gets really slow and very slowly says the following thing he goes i did the wheel i bent the spoke of attention around into the hub something changed in me i don't know what it is now now he's really slow and he's getting very cheerful and he goes out in the park because it was at the seattle needle and he goes like this and he goes in a very slow fashion but i'll say it more quickly he goes i see the gardener watering the roses and there's birds and butterflies now he's crying and very slowly he goes we're all the same thing we're all interconnected and everyone's like cannot move and if this only happened once i'd say it's just this odd thing but this happens over and over and over again and he's like the reluctant participant it's not like he wanted to be there at all or do this or had any expectation he was very resentful that he was there but when you drop into the hub you're dropping into this plane and you realize we're all interconnected and we're just these bodies we're in are just different manifestations of possibility into actuality and yes the body's important you want to sleep the body well feed the body well really enjoy the body exercise the body no one is saying you're not a body So this is where people sometimes will say statements like, I don't want to lose myself. And I said, this is not going to have you lose yourself. Think of it like a candle. You're going to honor the body self of your candle, that wax. But you're now going to go from just being wax and feeling so alone and isolated in some way people feel disconnected and meaningless. You're going to now be, yes, the wax, but now you're going to also become the flame. Because the flame is something that lights up the world together. And when this world becomes a more illuminated place, you don't say, oh, that's my part of the light. That's mine, mine, mine. No. You just contribute to a brighter world. And that's the kind of thing dropping into the hub does. And it's so beautiful the way you said it earlier, which is that's where we find each other. Mm. We can be differentiated in our <clears throat> rims, you know, differentiating these peaks. But when you learn to live also from the plane of possibility, you also become the flame beyond the wax alone.
0: That's beautiful thank you for sharing that and what a story about this individual you know in in you sharing that I'm almost I'm present to the fact that social media which which gets a bad rap for taking our awareness and notifications and technology I look at almost social media as trying to do what the wheel of awareness is doing the motivations are the same in terms of how people want to use them in a way we're going to social media to see this awareness of what's happening everywhere in the world And what everything is like, what's going on, and in that field, whether we realize it or not. And at the end of the day, we really want connection. If somebody could do something fun and be with people, even kids, they're gonna choose that over choosing to be on Instagram. It's just whether or not they're present to that thing and and in that experience. And the wheel of awareness is just a more direct pathway to it. It's like the real source of it, this thing that we find ourselves incessantly doing, scrolling, engaging. It's a pure motivation, but really our attention was just maybe focused on the wrong vehicle to get us there.
1: Exactly. And can you imagine if we could make this just a regular practice just like people can smile with beautiful teeth Mm because they brush their teeth. If people could smile and find deep connection and interconnection with each other and nature through the Wheel of Awareness practice or something like that. I mean, that would be just an amazing world. That would make a bright world because we'd all be sharing each other's flames in fact we'd be lighting each other up and that's a shift that we desperately need and the cool thing is it's a win-win-win thing because for your individual bodily life you're going to be healthier and happier for your relational life for people who you immediately know you're going to be healthier and happier and for the larger world as we're all interconnected it's going to be healthier and happier so you starting with the practice yourself is gonna make a change in your inner life that's gonna change the world around you.
0: Beautiful. Dr. Jane Siegel, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I wanna talk about your book and, and where people can find it. Um, before I do that, just so curious, I know you've mentioned in videos before that you rollerblade and you have different activities that yeah. you're into. The question that I think the audience is wondering is: is dance still a part of your life in some way?
1: You know, it is. I love dancing whenever I get a chance. And uh, sometimes, you know, I'll just turn some music on at home and just dance a lot. Or I love dancing with my wife. We met on a dance floor. Um, I I once, uh, one of my students, an online student, saw me for an in-person thing. And she was a little puzzled. She was actually from the Lakota tribe. And uh, she was puzzled by the name she saw printed out at the meeting. And she came up to me during the break. She said, I'm really confused. I thought your name was Dan Siegel. I said... My name is Dan Siegel. She goes, "No, I thought your name was Dan Siegel. I said, "It is Dan Siegel. She goes, "No, no. Dance Dance Eagle, Eagle. <laughs> <laughs> so that 's my new name at home. Dan Eagle <laughs> Dan Siegel that 's my, my sign off. <laughs> I love it that 's your like
0: rapper name That's
1: my rapper name, Dan Siegel.
0: Dan Siegel. I love that. Um, the book. Uh, congratulations, it's a New York Times bestseller, Wall Street Journal. Uh, for our audience, uh, where can they find it and where can they learn more about the things that you're up to um, and and also the wheel?
1: Yeah, anywhere where books are sold, you can get books, your independent bookstore, you know, your, your online bookstores, anywhere you want to get them. Um, you can do the audiobook, the regular book, the ebook, all those books. Come to our website, drdansiegel.com, D R D A N dot com and there's all sorts of free resources there and all sorts of great ways of tapping into the wheel you can do the uh, wheel of awareness set of practices we have there on the resources tab
0: incredible thank you so much for sharing these important lessons on awareness and how it can truly impact not only our own lives but the health of the world
1: thank you Drew it's a pleasure to be here with you thank you
0: Hi, everyone. I hope you enjoyed the interview. Just a reminder, this podcast is for educational purposes only. This podcast is not, I repeat, it's not a substitute for professional care by a doctor or otherwise qualified medical professional. This podcast is provided on the understanding that it does not constitute medical or other professional advice or services. If you're looking for help in your journey, seek out a qualified medical practitioner. If you're looking for a functional medicine practitioner, you can visit ifm.org and search there, find a provider database. It's important that you have somebody in your corner that's qualified, that's trained, that's a licensed healthcare practitioner helping you make changes, especially when it comes to your health.